Jason Scores, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. The Democratic primaries are fully in gear now with the stench of the Iowa debacle in the uh, rearview mirror. And we've had, uh, you know, the New Hampshire and then Nevada primaries. And uh, Bernie's looking pretty strong, I must say. I, uh, I really think I underestimated him, and uh, if he's the nominee, I will uh, strongly get behind him. Uh, so, interesting times, but there's plenty of votes to be had. This is just the beginning, and so uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later on. But the theme of today's episode, it's a theme, you know, that I've kind of woven into other episodes, but I kind of wanted to make it explicit as we gear up for the presidential election this year, and that is that the right can't win, but we all can lose. And the, the, the motivation for this is because we need to really understand what the right wing wants in order to understand what we need to do. And what I mean by that is that if this was just an argument about, you know, what the proper tax rate should be or you know what's the best way to address climate change or you know what's the best way to get universal health care we'd be in a much easier situation and in fact this is really the situation in most advanced countries right the conservative and liberal parties in most of the world are actually not that far apart on core values again i, I keep honing in on this, but it's just incredibly important to recognize that the conservative parties in most of the world would be considered far left, right? You know, the Bernie Sanders, which people are comparing to, you know, communists and, you know, far right extreme and far left extremists are basically your standard conservative party everywhere in the world. So the, the right wing in America is unique. It is a white, you know, the, the Republican Party is a right-wing extremist party of the first order. And, and why is that? What's going on here? And what I've argued and what I want to kind of elaborate on is that the right-wing feels a deep, deep sense of loss in America, right? This is why the nostalgia, the Make America Great Again, worked so well for them. They pine for a time when white Christians dominated all of American culture and other groups were simply suppressed or oppressed. And that's how America functioned. That, you know, the white Christians had the full entire cultural dominance. And that's what they remember, you know, these old whites from their childhood. They remember when there weren't black people and women and gays and, and transgender kind of in the, the, the cultural kind of moment. And all those people were suppressed and oppressed and white Christian, mostly men, just kind of dominated the whole landscape. These people make up the bulk of Trump's most fervent base. Now, of course, 
there's a large contingent in the Republican Party of just straight out greedy businessmen and women who love Trump because of low taxes and, you know, his cutting of regulations. For the most part, these people couldn't care less about religion. They don't really hate brown people. They're fine getting all of that in the bargain as long as they can get their greed fueled with tax cuts and, 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 you know, and, and, and lower regulations. So these people are, will vote for any Republican, right? Because they, again, they just want low taxes and less regulation. But the real power in Trump's base is the people who are most upset about the browning of America, about gay marriage, about transgender rights, about women's empowerment, the rise of secular humanism, right? All of these cultural anchors that they really have clung to their whole lives are drifting away. And these people feel a deep sense of insecurity, which has made them easy marks for the cult that is the modern GOP, right? And what I've said before is, is that as much of this ideology is abhorrent in many ways, right? The kind of the white Christian religious right ideology at its core is abhorrent. I can still feel bad for these people because if you've been brought up with that, those cultural norms as the only way to kind of true uh, salvation or a true moral life, then if you see that going away, you're going to suffer. And I think they really are suffering in some real tangible sense. And they're also fearful, right? So as I've mentioned many times, but I I always want to reiterate, we can hate this ideology. I absolutely despise the religious rights ideology, but I don't hate or despise the individuals who comprise it. I actually, in many ways, feel sorry for them because they're much victims in in many ways as others. Um, They've been brought up on this very abhorrent ideology that has set themselves up for really a life of of loss and misery. What's even more kind of tragic and ironic about this moment is that by embracing Trump, the religious right and this hardcore base are in many ways accelerating their cultural defeat. I mean, young people are looking at at the the modern, you know, Christian right and going, so that's what Christianity means. It means, you know, being a cult for this white supremacist con man and it means being racist and they are just running from this as fast as they can right and you know the the reality here is is that as much as uh trump is is doing everything he can to really deliver on some of these promises he's giving the right-wing judges and he's certainly him and his racist uh stephen miller at the white house with this draconian immigration policy uh, but, you know, are, are doing very little to actually give them true uh, victories, right? The reality is, is that once you've lost the culture, you can't claw it back through hatred and division. That's never going to work. And let's take immigration for a moment. It has been pretty shocking. I mean, Trump is delivering on slowing immigration rates, right? But at the most, this is going to change the browning of America by a couple years, And even adding another level of irony on this is that many uh, white people in America who are facing economic insecurity are having less children. So while they're curtailing, spending all their time curtailing immigration to slow the browning of America, actually white people are having less children because things are so economically insecure and that's negating that ultimately effect, right? And so, you know, even with everything they're doing, 
you know, America will still be a majority non-white country in 20 to 25 years. And the number of the record percentage of foreign born is also increasing. So that's the irony, right? All of this anger, all of this vitriol, all of this division, all of this cruelty is it at the end really just not even that effective. It's not even going to get them what they want, right? So, uh, you know, what the right wing base really wants, a white Christian nation is over. It's not coming back. Despite their best efforts, it will just not come back. You cannot, through policy, bring back a dying culture. They've lost the culture and they know it. And in their desperation and resentment and anger, they're willing to burn this place to the ground, right? This is really the lesson, is that a desperate, angry, and fearful minority that has a power that's disproportionate to their numbers, right, because of the white supremacy of the Electoral College and the Senate, uh, they can really wreak a lot of damage. And that's the situation we're in, right? Since the right cannot win, they are willing to make sure everybody loses. And that's the historical era that we're in. So it's good to kind of understand this because a lot of people, I think, don't fully get that that is the moment we're in. And after the break, I'll talk about how I think the left needs to respond. Everybody's breaking and drinking that wine I can tell the queen of diamonds by the way she shines Okay, so how should we approach the right wing, particularly, you know, the the right wing base that is the most rabid in support of Trump? I think once you understand what this movement wants and is all about, what animates them, a few points are clear. We can't possibly give the right what it wants, and therefore they will never be satisfied and they will continue to be angry and resentful, right? The reality is they want to turn the clock back on modernity. They want to bring back the 1950s. And they don't want a diverse America. They want, you know, white Christian patriarch dominance. And so since we can't give them what they want, nor should we give them what we want, we have to understand that they are going to be in this kind of resentful posture for a long time. And we have to manage that. 30 to 40% of the country is going to feel increasingly culturally isolated as America gets more diverse, less religious, less white, and other religions also, you know, come to the fore. That is why they have pledged allegiance to this fake strongman who they think will fight for them, right? This is textbook authoritarianism, right? So again, once you understand that, you go, wow, how can a religious person, you know, um, hitch their wagon to this, you know, amoral, immoral, you know, fake strong man who is probably the least Christian person you know. The reality is, right, if you're culturally isolated 
And he, this guy here is saying, I'm going to fight for you and I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to have your back in a society that's turning away from their values and their way of life. You can understand why they have, you know, more and more as more others turn away and he keeps saying, I'm the only one. They can you know, fall into line with this kind of cult-like thinking that he's their savior, right? The reality is there's little to no hope of winning these people over to the side of rationality, right? When you've thrown your lot in with Trump as your savior, you're really pretty far gone there on the rational uh, framework. Though these people are fully in the cult and their demands are more cultural than economic. And again, uh, as a liberal, their demands are abhorrent, right? To, to want to impose Christianity and religion in society to want to keep brown people out and to keep America in some kind of pure white mythology, right? We can never give them what we they want, and nor should we, because those values are, are abhorrent. But we can do is by standing up for our own beliefs, try not to provoke them, right? Try to dial it back a little, right? So this, what does this mean? It means that we should emphasize that everyone in America has freedom of religion and, and everybody is free to practice their religion. That there is room for everyone in our multicultural society. And that we on the left and the Democratic Party are working to improve the lives for all Americans. So again, this is at the margins that we can really dial this back because clearly a multicultural, multiracial, secular movement is going to be a threat to these people. The religious right is always going to feel that the, the Democrats are a threat. But at least we can turn down the rhetoric and emphasize that we're here for all Americans. Also, while I've mentioned that the primary needs of this group are not economic, um, they certainly do care still about health care and education and child care. And so the more we deliver on these promises, there's a slight chance that they will support these goals. They probably will never support a Democrat, but Obamacare is more popular than ever. And if we can improve health care and education and child care, we can splinter the right-wing base and the right-wing power structures because they will have to come and increasingly support our policies. I mean, think about this. The Obamacare issue is, is really instructive in this case. Uh, Obamacare only got popular when the right-wing started to try to take this away, Right. And think about the Republican Party. They've had to lie and lie and lie about Obamacare for a decade, right? And then say how they're going to come up with something better. Even Trump said, I'm going to give you something better in Obamacare. It's going to be great and, and, and it's going to be cheap and affordable, right? And, and the reality is we've boxed them into a corner. And now healthcare is one of the issues where the right wing and the Republican Party is the weakest because they don't want to give people health care. Clearly, they, that doesn't serve the interests of the plutocracy, which is their ultimate goal. But they know that people ultimately like it. They like Medicare. They like Medicaid. And so we've put them in a box. Now, they'll just continue to lie and, and, and cheat and steal. But we have boxed them in. And we've done that effectively by increasing the social safety net. So we should keep doing that. So in, in summary here, we want to try to expand the rights of the minorities in America without directly challenging the rights of white Christians. Now, of course, this becomes difficult and, and impossible when Christians, particularly white Christians, want to discriminate and disenfranchise uh, gay people and others. 
But the point is we should continually frame our agenda as one that's inclusive and that expands rights for everyone. This is common sense, clearly, right? But sometimes uh, on the left, we spend too much time directly attacking the religious right. And I've certainly been guilty of that at times. But it only gets them more fearful and angry. So so we want to just focus on our agenda and not just try to directly uh, provoke them. So after the break, I'll mean, you know, I'll discuss what this means for the left coalition. Okay, so how should the left respond to this, right? We, we understand the right-wing base. We don't want to provoke them, but how should we respond affirmatively? And, and I just want to say, I think Obama showed the way. It's the Obama coalition that is the way forward for America. And what is this? This is a coalition of progressive whites, women, and minority groups. And Obama won crushing victories, right? Obama has won the largest number of Americans in modern American history, way more than George Bush, way, way more than Trump. Uh, And in fact, Clinton was the only one that got close because she got much of the Obama coalition, but uh, she couldn't, you know, couldn't bring it home and put it together in the key areas. So the reality is, is that over 50% of the country, a huge winning majority is the Obama coalition. And as long as we, every election cycle, focus on that coalition, on holding it and expanding it, we're going to be in a pretty strong position. So if we do this, we will ultimately be unstoppable and we can finally get America on a sustainable path forward and not go through these oscillations of, you know, George Bush to Obama to Trump, right? This back and forth from rationality to insanity uh, is not going to serve us well. And in fact, it will bring us backward. Now, this is obviously more difficult because of the rigged system in favor of white supremacy, right? Again, Hillary Clinton won 3 million more votes than Trump, as compromised as she was, and as bad a candidate as she was, and as the fact that she didn't go to Michigan and Wisconsin and the upper Midwest. All of that being said, she won 3 million more votes because our coalition is bigger than ours, and it is growing while theirs is shrinking, So like everything, however, politics evolves and it cannot stay stagnant, right? Obama was an amazing politician. He paved the way for kind of the future of progressivism in America, but he also naively believed in bipartisanship. And that was a fool's errand, right? Democrats now must focus on true progressive policies and be unafraid to champion them. The case in point, going back to Obamacare here, is that it was constructed to attract Republicans, right? It was kind of constructed over the Mitt Romney template in Massachusetts with this kind of three-legged stool of an individual mandate, uh, an expansion of Medicaid, and then expansion of private insurance for those in the middle class. That made it much, much more complicated than it needed to be. 
and in general, many people hated it or misunderstood it. The simple part, the Medicaid expansion, people loved, but since the middle class didn't get it, many of them felt resentful, and it created this kind of these class um, you know, conflict. The lesson here is really simple. Universal, simple programs for everyone, right? Just give everyone the same thing and make it simple so it's not this complicated morass. I think on this score, Bernie has really been right. Just universal, simple programs for everyone so that you can't divide people along class and or race. And, you know, again, I think this is part of the reason why Bernie has has, you know, has been prevailing in the early states here and why his message still resonates with so many people on the left. I also think that Democratic candidates need to be actively anti-racist, right? Obama, as the first black president, really shied away from making, you know, explicit, uh, you know, a racial program or racial policies. And he was clearly a huge step above, uh, you know, the the Republican candidate, Mitt Romney, and and even McCain and Sarah Palin. But the the point I want to say is that while Democrats are obviously more open and tolerant than Republicans, that's not enough, right? We need to actually demonstrate how we are going to dismantle structural forms of racism, whether it be in housing or education or environmental policy. It's simply not enough to simply not be racist in a deeply racist system. You have to take down uh, the racist structures. So we have a successful playbook that worked incredibly well for Obama It certainly worked for Clinton in the sense that she got three million more votes, but she didn't do it. You know, she didn't bring it home uh, enough. She was a, a, you know, a very divisive and compromised candidate and the party wasn't united. And we can't let that ever happen again. Right. That is the lesson that we need to build and expand on the Obama coalition cycle after cycle. And that's our path to victory. So after the, uh, the break, I'll come up with the antidote for today. We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem is Okay, so the antidote here is going to be incredibly straightforward and simple, and I'm going to keep beating this drum all year. Unity, unity, unity. So as the primary continues here, vote for your favorite candidate in the primary, and then pledge to work your ass off for whoever wins, right? That is the key, right? It's any Democrat, whether it was Biden or Bernie or Warren or, you know, um, Buddha Judge or Amy Klobuchar, they would be infinitely better than the racist con man lunatic on the other side here right so again go out there fight for your favorite primary candidate vote for them urge others to vote for them and then the moment you do pledge to work hard for whoever wins the democratic nomination this is not a drill this is really democracy on the line and an existential threat awaits with a potential second term of trump so With that, everybody, uh, I hope you have a great rest of the week. I hope if you're enjoying this podcast, you'll share it with family, friends, and colleagues. You'll rate it, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher. 
So with that, take care and be well. Thank <music> you.